Mark Gurman. So we haven't we've never spoken before, right? Yeah, that's right. We haven't uh, spoken before. Um, All right. Yeah. For those who don't know, Mark uh, is. What's your, do you have a title? Are you just reporter. Uh, I mean, I go by uh, senior editor, nine to five Mac, but I uh, report, edit, right. manage all sorts of stuff. Senior editor, nine to five Mac. Uh, I, I. How long have you been writing for nine to five Mac? Uh, since uh, right when the uh, first iPad was announced, within uh, give or take a couple weeks of that, so uh, early 2010. So about four years. Right. Right. And you are only 11 years old. Yes, exactly. 11 years old. No, I'm, uh, I'm about double that, so 20. Are you really? No, how old are you? 20. So you're still not even of drinking age. Correct. <laughs> yeah. you, uh, but you started writing professionally for 9 to 5 Mac when you were 16 years old. Uh, yeah, around 16 years old. Maybe been uh, 15, actually. And, and uh, honestly, I don't even, I, I'm, I'm not, I, you know, this shows you how much research I do for the show. <laughs> uh, are you in college? Yeah. So I'm a sophomore at the uh, University of Michigan. I'm in my uh, apartment here right now. So. And yet you are, and I mean this, I'm not just saying it because you're a guest on the show, but you're seriously one of the, you know, most influential reporters on the Apple beat. Uh, in, really appreciate that. Especially from you, of course. I mean, I think you're the most influential, so. Well, but I don't really do reporting, and I think that'll make for an interesting conversation, you know. Sure. I th- and I, you know, and I think over the last few years, I've even gotten further away from that, where I s- sort of see myself more as a commentator on the reporting of others, as opposed to someone who does a lot of ori- you know, breaks a lot of original news. There's not too much news that's been broken on Daring Fireball recently. Yeah, I mean, your opinion is just so sharp and strong and matters so much. So I guess, you know, either way you look at it, whether it's original reporting or, you know, original commentary, you know, either is great. Um, well, thank you. Um, how, let's, let's just go back. So how did you get started writing for 9to5Mac? So before the uh, first iPad came out, I was doing some digging around on, you know, domain names and who is searches to see if Apple was, you know, snapping up any uh, domain names having to do with tablets. Because I remembered that um, someone spotted that they registered MacBookAir.com or something like that before the uh, first Air was announced in 08. And so sure enough, uh, Apple had, under a shell company, registered iSlate.com. And there was some New York Times um, executive who had some internal meeting uh, in months in the late 2009, talking about how, like he said, like the impending Apple slate. So, I mean, I figured they're not going to call it Apple slate, but, you know, I slate made some sense. And I pieced it together, and that really got me started with, you know, digging around and getting the news out there. And, you know. Well, how did you where, how did you put that out, though? Do you have your own blog, or did you uh, use no, Twitter? No, I uh, tipped uh, Mac Rumors, actually, funny enough. And how, did you got credit for it, though? Yep, yep, yep. They uh, credited me there and uh, kind of put me on the map a bit. And then I uh, talked to uh, Seth at 9 to 5, and, you know, we worked something out. And here we are today. That's uh, Seth uh, Weintraub. Yeah. Who, uh, I guess he's the, what, founder of 9 yeah. to 5. Yeah, yeah, publisher. The, the whole 9 to 5 whatever empire. Right, right. That's really, really interesting. And I think that there's sort of a, a uh, I wouldn't say a strong tradition, but, a, you know, there's a strain, though, of, of Apple 
and I don't want to quite call it rumor reporting. And we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that R, the, the R word, as I call it. <laughs> um, but you do break, you know, a lot of, and a lot of your better known stuff is for breaking news about, un, you know, stuff that's supposed to be secret, right? Definitely. More or less. Right. So rumors is the is the wrong word, and we can get back to that in a bit. But sure. sort of the wrong word. But there's a, a history of that though coming from. Uh, Teenagers, really. I mean, and, and the example I'm thinking of, and I hadn't thought of him for a while, but Nick Ciarelli, who was uh, wrote under the the pen name of Nick DePlume. Right, uh, right. Think Secret, right? On Think Secret. Uh, now, this is weird, though. See, this is a thing where if you're 20 years old, the Think Secret stuff must seem like ancient history to you. Yeah, yeah. It was way before my time. I right. So you, when that when that whole thing went down, that was that, that was you weren't you were probably like I don't know ten years old or something like that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> don't remember uh, exactly. Yeah, if you go to thinksecret.com now, it's it's turned off. So Think Secret. Uh, I think they were shut down like in the early iPhone days. Founded in 1998, so that was that that precedes even Daring Fireball by four years, wow. uh, and shut down in 2008. So yeah, I, well, you know, you must have been somewhat paying attention to the media, though. If, if by 2010 right. you were breaking stories on domain registrations first, uh, you know, but you know, Nick Ciarelli was you know really young for most of the run of Think Secret, you know, teenager, and then I think he was at Harvard when this stuff went down with the lawsuit that effectively shut it down. Right. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much what I remember as well. Like he was in high school and then moved into college, right. and that went down during that. I can't imagine being in his shoes, going through you know the Apple lawsuit um, on top of you know going to school. You know, that I don't I don't envy him in that way. Well, I don't know. I don't really envy you going to school and being a, effectively a full-time reporter either. <laughs> I when I was in school, I just sat around and played video games. <laughs> I guess that's not really true. I actually no. worked at the, you know, did a lot of writing and editing at the student newspaper. But, oh. you know, but it's, it's you know, I, I was writing for an audience of three or 4,000 other students at Drexel University, whereas you're writing for an audience of, I don't know, I'm guessing at least 100,000 or more readers of of nine to five mac which yeah. is remarkable for someone who's you know like i said still can't even legally buy beer <laughs> yeah appreciate that why do you think there's anything to that i i don't know to me there is something to the idea of like a truly enthusiastic um teenager who just has like an obsession with with this sort of stuff getting information that for lack of a better word, older and more established reporters aren't getting. Right. Um, even though you're on the outside, you're not even in the area, right? Did you grow up in Michigan? Uh, no, I'm uh, from Los Angeles. So, huh? Well, nowhere even close. Yeah. But still, you're still not from the you know the Valley or San Francisco. No, so, not at all. No, were you from there? No, uh, you know I'm in Philadelphia now, and I, I grew up in outside right. Philadelphia. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So same story for you, but you know, uh, to your point. There's a lot of talk about that. I mean, starting at the young age that I started at and uh, what um, Nick Think Secret started at, I mean, when you're working, you know, under 20 years old on this type of stuff, it's not really like the, um, lack for lack of a better term, the nine to five day job where, you know, get up every morning, do your stuff, you know, finish up and then go home. It's more of a, it's more of a hobby. Like I didn't need to have uh, that job, luckily enough. I mean, it was just something that I really enjoyed and that gave me passion to run after it. No one was forcing me to do any of that. And that 
takes a lot of the burden off of me, allowing me to focus on what I like doing. Did you know, I mean, was it Apple specifically that you've always been interested in? Yeah, you know, I've always really been a huge Apple fan. Like, you know, waited in line for the first iPhone. I was just, you know, so thrilled. And I remember, um, you know, actually to show you how much, you know, I really love Apple. I, um, when I was uh, 13 years old and needing to be preparing for my bar mitzvah, the, the rabbi I was working with kept telling me, you need, you need to stop watching that iPhone Kino on repeat and get and know your stuff for the uh the big event so all right so it wasn't like you were watching it because it was the day of the keynote you were just watching it repeated the 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 videotape you know. yeah I, I was pretty i was pretty <laughs> obsessed yeah <laughs> i guess the thing that i that that strikes me as interesting and i think it's also proof of sort of being in the modern internet age is that where you are it doesn't really matter that much I mean, people, I get that sometimes too, where people are sometimes surprised that I'm in Philadelphia and that I'm not in San Francisco or, or in the Valley area and that, you know, wow, you seem really tuned in. Right. Uh, I don't know that it really makes a difference with, you know, all of the messaging options you have and, you know, f frankly, just good old email. Right. Uh, well, I can see how, if it's a team, I can see why teams sometimes don't want to have remote workers, depending on the style of collaboration and what, what exactly the project they're supposed to be working on together is I can see, you know, I understand, I actually understand a lot why Apple doesn't have a lot of remote employees. It sort of have to get an exception to the rule to be at a re remote engineer or designer at Apple. Mm -hmm. um, but for the sort of stuff we do writing about them, it really doesn't make that much of a difference. I don't think. Right. Of course not. Like in terms of communicating with people, you know, 10 years ago, this job would have been impossible living outside of the, uh, the Valley, San Francisco, Cupertino area, but I mean, unless it was good old phone calls, but um, right. these days, you know, there's so many, you know, tools for talking to people. And in terms of, you know, like remote work, we don't have a nine to five Mac office. I mean, we, there's just such great collaboration tools online and, you know, in a way doing this job, not sitting with everyone in the same room, you know, could be easier. I mean, I don't really have much to compare to, but that's just how I look at it. Right. It would you know, um, of all the ways that nine to five Mac and nine to five Google might expand, I'm sure opening a, an office space for you guys is probably not even on the list because you guys aren't even. Do any of you guys work in the same area? Um, probably not. No, <clears throat> not really. Um, I'm the only one on the West Coast when I'm home right. for breaks in the summer. Everyone else, Seth's in New York, uh, right. Jordan's in Canada, and everyone's mostly stationed on the East or in the UK. So we're hmm. pretty spread. Um, I do think for me personally, in my, you know, experience, and it's just crazy. This is one of those things where it's crazy to me because I've been writing Daring Fireball for 12 years. And so that means you were eight years old when I started. I don't want to keep banging on your age. No, it's cool. I, as I'm preparing for this, that must mean no to you. I'm guessing from your perception, I've always been writing Daring Fireball. Uh, always been writing Daring Fireball. Right, um, and what do you is mean? that is that how you see it? That there's always been some guy Gruber writes this site, Daring Fireball, about Apple. You know the thing with thing with Gruber. I mean, classic Gruber, in my opinion, is the uh, your story back in 2008. Uh, I think you called it contains spoilers, where you sarcastically, I think, pointed out all the features and all the new things they're going to announce at that uh, unibody MacBook event, and everything turned out. Remarkably correct. So I've been following your stuff <laughs> for a long time, and that's uh, yeah. I mean, 
Oh, Kruber's been around a while. Yeah. To to me, it still feels like it's a kind of a new site. I still feel like Daring Fireball is somewhat new, and that's obviously not not the case. But no, I mean maybe I, that's what maybe that's what keeps it feeling like it's fun for me. But it must be it's just crazy to me to think that you were eight years old when I started. Yeah, that is that is pretty crazy. I mean, I have found though, I have found that, and again, I'm not really in the the breaking leaks game or the rumor game, whatever you want to call it. Although I dabbled in it for a couple of years in the middle. Right. Um, and we could talk about that later. But sure. I found, though, that I developed my best sources once I started going to things on the West Coast, you know, WWDC and Macworld Expo and meeting people. And it wasn't because I had to meet them face to face to hear the information, but it was that having met them even just once face to face develops, there's a certain relationship you can sort of accelerate a, a, a circle of trust where they trust me and i trust them and then you know future information might come in by email or instant message or something like that but having met them makes a big difference but i get the feeling you haven't met most of your sources um no i i think i'm pretty much in the same boat as you i mean i've been going to uh these conferences for a few years now so I've met a lot of people through the you know good old face to face stuff, and I agree it's extremely important. Oh, so you have though? No, it is. so I'm wrong. I was saying that that I, I, my guess was you had not met them, but you're saying you have some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's safe to say, right? <laughs> yeah, All right. I've met them. Yeah, and it definitely helps. I think. I mean, yeah, like I you think said, it's just human nature, right? Develop some trust. I mean, if you're just talking through, you know instant messages, some text to another person, you don't really get a good idea if uh, you should trust them or even if they should trust you and open up to you. But when you know someone in person, it's like, you know, you, you really get to know them, you can bond with them and, and uh, they'll feel more comfortable with you and you'll feel more comfortable with them. So it's, it's really a big deal. And I, like you said, you don't have to, you know, fly out to San Francisco to uh, talk to them every time there's some information. There's other ways of uh, communicating. Trying to remember some of the old rumor sites. I forget their names. I have such a bad memory for stuff like that. But in the old days, like the late nineties, I mean this is way before your time. Late nineties and the early years of Mac OS ten, two thousand one, two thousand two. Um there are, you know, as always, I mean Apple Insider was around. Apple Insider is like the granddaddy, I think, of the the sort of focus on rumors type stuff right right but there was think secret from 98 on and i forget some of the other ones but they had such terrible track records and i you know i they still do that yeah. you know and and it, it's a uh, uh spaghetti against the wall see what sticks approach right and right. then the one strand of spaghetti that does stick they're like see see we got it uh right and i always had this idea in the back of my head like what would it take to run an accurate Apple rumor site. You know, what? why Why are they all so inaccurate if you take them in the aggregate? Because it would just right. drive me nuts to have my name on something that was so wrong, you know, wrong and regularly wrong. Right, yeah. I mean, inaccuracy it, is the worst thing for someone in, you know, our positions of what we do. I mean, why right. are people going to read us if we're just, you know, spitting BS all day? And Right, or why are they going to believe your future stuff? Yeah, exactly. It's about gaining trust of the reader and the way you do that is by consistently providing them what they're looking for you know kind of my problem um to your point about uh rumor sites being wrong is there seems to be a lot of talk lately of people grouping all websites uh even you know 
my work and how to find back into that uh, to that category. Because I remember like when I had the uh, 64-bit A7 chip, uh, someone tweeted, I, I think it actually might have been you, about like how it was just uh, spitting uh, spitballs out the wall to see what sticks. But um, So yeah, I mean, I don't enjoy when I see people grouping us all together. It kind of just makes all that hard work I put in other accurate sites put in like you know come out bad like the rest yeah well and the other thing too that's it's a little bit problematic i forget his name there was a guy at the unofficial apple weblog site who sort of did a, a i don't forget if it was a mark german scorecard or a nine to five mac in general scorecard right must have been a nine to five mac in general well what happened there was is uh he basically you know noted that hey we got all these stories right perfect track record for 2013. And then he grouped in all of our, um, quote unquote, you know, noting or reblogging of stories from other sites into that overall track record, which I didn't think was very fair seeing that every Apple rumor website works the same way. I mean, you can't like, if you link to, um, someone who reports something wrong and, um, you know, you link to it, whatever. And then People end up saying, oh, Gruber was wrong, even though you're linking to some like, right. New York Times or something. I mean, how are you going to feel about that? Well, I'm a little – it's it's the difference in the publishing models. Though. Sure. I, I have to bear a little bit of – for me, I have to bear a little bit of responsibility. If I post a link to something that's – let's just say some – like a lot of times, you know, let's say it's like a French language Mac site and they have pictures – that purportedly come from the Asian supply chain. And right. it shows the back of this year's uh, new iPad mini. Right? right. That happened last year. Yes. Um, if I link to it, I sort of feel like if I link to something like that, and I don't link to stuff like that a lot anymore, but right. if I do, I feel like I'm on the hook to sort of say whether I believe it or not. Do I think this is legit or not? Sure. And if I say, ah, I don't know, this looks fishy as hell. Right. Uh, that's different. Whereas like what nine to five Mac does is, and, and, and like you said, a lot of other sites, right. it's, you know, it's sort of that Mac rumors.com model of, look, we're going to tell you what everybody's reporting yeah. and you'll say, you'll credit, you'll say, you know, blah, 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 dot FR, a French language Mac site. And, you know, here's a link to the Google translate version of their original report is saying that this, here's the picture is a is the back of a thing. You're not saying, it doesn't say our sources say, it's, you know, this site says this. Here it is. Judge for yourself. Right. And that, yeah, Tua, the Tua report lumped all those in with what I believe to be mostly your work. The, the you know, Mark Gurman yeah. <laughs> reporting for 9to5Mac says, according to sources, you know, um, you know, here's a recent example. I don't I probably wasn't on the 2013 scorecard because this was 2014, but sure. you, you had here's screenshots of the currently in beta health book app from iOS 8. Yep. It's going to be like Passbook, except it's going to, you know, have integration with, you know, who knows what kind of devices and, and stuff. But, uh, you know, iOS users will have this pass or health book app. Right. Here it is. And that's you not saying, you know, it didn't come from another site. That's you reporting with screenshots and information from, you know, somehow sources in the know. <laughs> yep. Right? And that's different. And those stories, and, you know, I, I say this, this is one of the reasons I'm excited to have you on the show. Your t record for 2013 was pretty much spot on. Appreciate it. Appreciate right? I don't think you had any stories that really, I don't know, 
you know, maybe some dotted I's and mid cross T's, you know, when you're writing about this stuff that's pre-release, but probably, but yeah, nothing you needed to retract. Pretty good year. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing needed to be retracted. Um, I mean, look, I look at the, uh, I look at it as a necessary evil. Nine to five Mac can't exist as a site that only posts original content. It, it's impossible. It would, it, it wouldn't destroy the website. It wouldn't destroy any Apple Rumor website. It would just be, it would, see, look, other Apple Rumor websites, they can, you know, just aggregate everything from anywhere. Why would anyone read us just for the original content when they can just get the original content alongside everything else from another site? So something that, you know, we have to do it. But I agree, we could do a better job. And we've been trying this a lot lately to, you know, say, you know, to use your words, this is fishy as hell. Don't believe it. But, you know, people have the right to make their own decisions and we need to provide the readers what they want. That was more or less the conclusion I came to, you know, circa, let's say, 2008, 2000, 2007, 2008, 2009, when I posted a few more, I was more commonly posting sort of, I don't know, I'm not, I think it, I, I got, I got a kicks out of it, but it was, it, the way that I broke rumors, if I had something, was always to be very coy about it and right. instead of saying hey i have a source who says uh apple's going to rename uh, i forget the old name what was it called itools they're going to rename it mobile me mm. or something like that right um i i would do something coy and just be like wouldn't it be something if apple renamed itools mobile me right and yeah reg- I, and got the domain name me.com right that, 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 yeah doesn't that sound like something apple would do uh, or I did that. Oh, I remember. And I did that with, uh, the windows version of Safari. Ah, I got that like the night or two before the W I think it was a WWDC. It might've been a Mac. World. I, right. I, sometimes the Mac world expos and WWDCs blur together. I think it was a WWDC keynote. Right. I think so. And I do. found out about, um, windows for Safari for windows. And then I quick grept through, um, my server logs on daring fireball and found a few hits from it from the night before, because Uh, that was when they um, flipped the switch, like up until like the day before they had had, you know, some kind of, I I don't know. I think probably the user agent string just said that it was on a Mac, Uh, but then the night before when they actually had the real build for it, um, I found a few and I was like, Oh, bingo. So I had it. Right. But I th- I didn't say hey they're gonna do it I think I, I again I said wouldn't it be wouldn't it be a neat idea if Apple came out with a version of Safari for <laughs> yeah giving uh, ice water to someone in hell you know I, yeah. uh, I think one of the former Safari engineers they wrote something about how they uh, used fake user agent right. or they routed it through Asia or something pretty sketchy I thought that was interesting but you know to your point I I always remember you in your even your early writing never to be like long form uh, rumor reporting like you know i do another zoo is always very coy like i um you know i remember the uh wall street journal put out some posts about how they said like oh apple is uh developing a cdma iphone and you're like oh they didn't even know about the retina display the a4 multitasking <laughs> i remember that, that was i still do stuff like that but yeah you know i, I, can't w- I wish i did that more i mean it's just so cool I mean, <laughs> but you know the only way you can do that is if you build up a reputation for being accurate in the past. You can't just come out of the woodwork and say such and such coyly. Right. No one's going to know to look for that, you know? Right. But the thing I figured out, though, I really did, figuring out, like, breaking more rumors and trying to be as accurate as possible 
And I think I did. But the truth is, even when you're trying to do it, if you're going to be accurate as possible, you, you just don't get that much. So you can't, like you said, you can't run a site where that's all you have. Right. There's just not enough. And it's not enough stuff to publish to have enough oxygen to breathe in terms yeah. of just having readers coming every day. Right. You've got to have more stuff. I mean, it's the constant views to the site and everyone coming for the other stuff that, you know, gives me and others the opportunity to step back and focus on getting the original stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, let me take a break right now and thank our first sponsor of the show. And it's our good friends at uh, Smile Software and their PDF Pen family of apps. Uh, the family includes PDF Pen for Mac, PDF Pen for iPad, PDF Pen for iPhone, and the newest app from Smile, PDF Pen Scan Plus. PDF Pen Scan Plus uh, lets you add scanning and OCR to your mobile toolkit. Really cool idea. You just take your phone, point it at a piece of paper, take a picture. Uh, PDF Pen Scan Plus turns that into a PDF and does OCR on the text of the document you took a picture of. So it's searchable, it's selectable, copy and pasteable. Really, really cool stuff. Let's you use your phone, iPhone camera as a scanner effectively. Really cool. Um, PDF Pen Pro offers uh, all sorts of really cool PDF power on a Mac, including automatic form creation, converting websites into PDFs, editing table of contents, and more. Um, last month, they updated uh, PDF Pen for iOS, the iPad and iPhone versions. Uh, they updated them for iOS 7. Performance was enhanced in several areas. Uh, big documents open faster. They have a new page indicator that shows you the location in a, in a long document. Uh, really cool new feature, the Dropbox folder syncing, which they've had for a while. It's been updated, and now it includes support for multiple Dropbox accounts. Uh, really cool feature. Uh, the update has a bunch of other bug fixes, of course, uh, all sorts of stuff. You can find out more about the entire PDF pen family of apps for Mac, for iOS, uh, by going to the, here, where, here's where you go. Smile Software, smilesoftware.com slash talk show. That's it, smilesoftware.com slash talk show. Talk show. Um, really great apps. If you deal with PDFs uh, on a regular basis, you, you owe it to yourself to check them out. Before we get into specifics, what maybe later in the show we'll get into specifics and some of the recent stuff you've reported. But, sure. Um, now that you've established a name for yourself, do you find that you get random stuff emailed to you or tweeted to you like privately or something like, you know, hey, uh, you don't know me, but I, you know, I happen to know and then insert some kind of blank, 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 scandalous, you know, scandalous rumor here. Mm. And, you, and you've got to sort of judge, hey, is this thing on the, you know, not that you would run it just because somebody emailed it to you, but sure. is it even worth looking into? Um, I mean, I read all the emails and tweets that come in, etc. Um, but I think I do a pretty good job parsing out, uh, you know, the, the signal from the noise. So, but do you get a lot of noise? Do I get a lot of noise? You know, the tip box, you know, sometimes floods up with uh, stuff that's not true. But you know, everything that I really report comes from sources that I've developed over the years who I trust immensely. I don't run anything from a first-time source ever unless it's mm. corroborated, you know, several times over. I mean, there's the rare occasion where someone will come out of the woodwork and tell you something, 
And then, you know, you ask the people, you know, you've known for a while, you know, what's up with this? Is this true? And, you know, sometimes you'll get the, uh, you know, the green light and, you know, there you go. But I, I found it. I, I don't. And it was weird. There was it, it couple of years back, I got more of it, and it seems like I get less now. But I would say at least once a month or so. And it wasn't just like one kook. It was, you know, once a month or so, somebody who I've never heard of before would send me an email. It still happens now, but maybe not as often as once a month. But And they'll just say, look, I happen to know that Apple is blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I just, I'll tell you like an example that I got all the time. I, I, I'm sure I've got some probably sitting in my inbox unread right now. <laughs> is somebody saying that they know for a fact that Apple is going to ship uh the next iPhone is going to have a, scre- a bigger screen. It's going to be insert size here, 5.1 inches. It's going to be uh, 1080p. Uh, and I know this for a fact, blah, 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 blah. And then right. I, it's like, I, I don't know what they're, you know, and I know that I, I just know that they're full of it. Like I got, I've got these last year, like where there were right, people saying right. that last year's iPhone 5S was going to come in two sizes. <laughs> and I knew that it was, I knew for a fact that it wasn't. Right. And I always wonder like, what is with these people? Like, what are they trying to do? Are they just trying to like make a jerk out of me? Like see if they'll, they can get me to go for it. Like I don't see what pleasure they would get if I happen to run it or what they think I'm going to do. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I haven't really put too much thought into that. But of course, there's, you know, Daring Fireball, huge site, you have a huge audience. Same with 9to5Mac. I mean, I guess there are some people who might get a thrill out of, you know, sending something that's totally not true and seeing if it ends up going on the site. Um, you know, it, yeah, I agree. I can think of some examples. <laughs> there's like, and it's always from people who don't put their name on the email. It's, you of know, course not, uh, right. You know, it's it's like uh, you know, Legohead sixty seven at gmail dot com. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm just gonna run that. Right. It's like, do you have you ever read my site? It's very it always you know strikes me as crazy. But then you know, who knows? There's a lot of crazy people out there. Yeah, and you know, the best part in my opinion is when this happens. You know, it's very likely that they sent the same you know BS to another site, one of the competitors, and then when you see like another. Apple rumor site just throw it up there saying, oh, this comes from a source, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, it's clearly BS and they post anyways. It's always, yeah. it's always fascinating to see the processes of uh, the, the competition. Yeah, I saw that. I actually saw that last year with some of the screen size stuff where I saw some, you know, second tier sites running and what I think was probably sent by the same person. Uh, yeah, probably. And it's like, come on. I mean, I remember like not really an Apple example because I can't really remember a huge Apple example, but there was some big uh thing about how there was an alleged microsoft insider who sent out a bunch of details about the uh new xbox that turned out to be the xbox one some site ran it said it's from a verified source blah 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 and then a bunch of other sites came out and said oh we all got the same tip and then the guy who sent it in made like this little website or blog and said oh how he tricked oh them. yeah yeah i remember that yeah. i do remember that yeah right. that was pretty good yeah i should I mean, big I deal. see if i can find that and put it in the show notes <laughs> Right. It was, I just, yeah, it was, and, yeah, and, and it became like, a, uh, like the biggest, it was like the, the top of the day on like Hacker News and Tech Meme. It was like right. how, how, how to trick the press into running a rumor. And, you know, I mean, it, it was pretty sad for me because, you know, I've spent so much time, and I, I know you have as well, and uh, other reporters in this industry spent so much time building up their brands, trying to convince people, oh, that, you know, not every rumor site is just a rumor site. And then another notable site comes out, you know, pulls this shtick, just, you know, posts a random rumor and says it's all verified and whatnot. It kind of, you know, just puts a bad taste in your mouth for, for the whole entire industry. So 
I, think, I don't have it in front of me, but as I recall, the gist of it was he mailed it out and nothing happened right away. But I think it was Slash Gear ran it. And if I'm wrong and it wasn't Slash Gear, my apologies to everybody at Slash Gear, but I think it was Slash Gear <laughs> ran it. And they ran it with, you know, they worded it pretty accurately. They were like, look, this is unverified, but we have a source who says blank, blank, and blank about the next Xbox. Uh, but as soon as they ran it, it 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 became other sites picked it up because then other sites case slash dot or slash gear, not slash dot. Slash gear is saying the Xbox has blank blank blank. And then all of a sudden that doesn't seem anywhere near as sketchy because it's not, hey, we have this unverified thing from someone whose name we can't tell you. Yeah. All of a sudden that's the first hand report. It's that then the second hand reports actually sound better sourced because they say slash gear, which is a real site that has a real reputation sure. is saying the Xbox has blank. And then all of a sudden everybody else. And then it just, it just pinballs all around the entire tech web. Right. Because now everybody's reporting it. Now Mashable has it. And you know, TechCrunch has something. Right. And there's a few issues there uh, in terms of the industry in general. Like, I mean, the first issue would be uh, whoever site this was, I, I don't remember if it was Slash Gear or not, reporting something unverified from their t tips box in the first place. I don't think uh, I would ever do that, or I don't think I've ever done that in the past. Um, you know, the next issue is sites, you know, not taking into account the sketchy nature of the original report. Another issue is them not linking out clearly uh, to the Slash Gear so readers can, you know, make their own judgment. You know? It would be like if somebody just dropped a sandwich off at your door you know would you eat it <laughs> no yeah. right there's just a sandwich that you never asked for sitting in you yeah. know, your doorstop yeah and the whole broken telephone game with uh the reblogging you know you can start off saying oh you know this is complete bs we don't even trust it we're just publishing it for discussion and then you know like a few hours later some blog can say oh can the reports confirm such and such about the new xbox so right. it's a shit show out there sometimes yeah, totally. Um, let me take a break right here and thank our second sponsor. Um, and it's our good friends at lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com. Lynda.com uh, has thousands of video courses in everything from iOS development, user experience, audio and video editing, uh, graphic design, photography, business skills, anything you might want to learn that is vaguely in line with tech and design and development, they have video courses right there on the site, over 2,400 of them, and they're taught by industry experts. It's not like YouTube where anybody can just upload videos to lynda.com. They have 2,400 courses, but they're all taught by serious experts, really good teachers, uh, and with really high production values, really great stuff at all experience levels, beginner all the way to advanced. Um, the regular price, here's what the regular deal is, is one monthly price, 25 bucks, and you get unlimited access to the entire lynda.com library. I think that's a fantastic way to do it because if it's per course, if you had to pay, let's say a dollar per course or $2 or $3, you got this feeling in your head like, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if this is going to be good or not. I don't want to pay the three bucks and then see if it's good or not. You just pay the subscription, and then you can start any of these courses you want, and you don't, you're not racking up a bill. It's all unlimited a la carte. Um, they just acquired a new company called Compiler, spelled in the uh, Flickr style, 
C-O-M-P-I-L-R. They have a software coding and development environment that allows people to learn to write, compile, and test code right within your web browser. And so you can do the follow along with the exercises in the browser while you follow the courses. Also, they're, they're just starting to integrate that into lynda.com. Good stuff coming up. Uh, other courses that might be of interest to uh, people listening to this show. Uh, they have a new course called Programming for Non-Programmers, iOS 7. That was just released this week. You take this course and you follow along and you'll build your first iOS app in one afternoon. So if you've ever thought about starting to build iOS apps, there you go. It's perfect course for beginners. Uh, they even have a new course. This is how, how up-to-date they are. They, uh, Adobe just came out with Lightroom for mobile. It's like an iPad version of Lightroom that integrates with your Mac version. They have a course teach you how to uh, take the most advantage of that, Lightroom for mobile. All sorts of great stuff. Great company. Here's where you go to find out more. And when you follow this code, you have an even better deal. The regular deal, 25 bucks a month, unlimited video access. Great deal. Follow this code, lynda.com, lynda.com with a Y, slash the talk show. And you get to try lynda.com for free for seven days. Free. Seven days. Watch all the videos you want. Fantastic deal. Go to lynda.com slash the talk show. Seven days free. My thanks to them. So let's get a little specific. Cool. So here's, here's one. And this, I have to say, this is the story that sort of prompted me to invite you on the show. I've had you on. Uh, Craig Hockenberry was on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about, um, I think, your health book report. We can okay. get to that later. Sure. Um, but last week, you had a story on 9to5Mac. And let's see if I have it open here in a tab. The headline, uh, Johnny Ive shakes up Apple's software design group, comma, iPhone interface creator Greg Christie departing. Yep. Well, first thing, I think that comma should be a semicolon. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a comma splice. But you're right, you're right, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's avoid the grammar and, and, and stick to the details. Sure. Uh, and the first sentence of the report is, following friction between top human interface vice president Greg Christie and senior vice president Johnny Ive, Apple's hardware and software design is being dramatically shaken up according to sources familiar with the matter. Um, so first things first, you were the first to, to report that Greg Christie is retiring from Apple. Yep. And so kudos to you for the scoop. I congratulated you on Twitter. I hadn't even heard that. Appreciate uh, it. Apparently it happened a couple weeks prior were you familiar with this timeline? Because I did a lot of research. I didn't really write much about this afterward, but I've, I've d done a surprising amount of work on this. Uh, I guess it'll all come out here on the show. I mean, a couple of weeks before I reported, it makes sense. I mean, I was trying to... Well, I got a tip from a uh, very reliable source who's provided reliable info for, for years that Christy uh, was out. And uh, the source told me that, you know, uh, he's leaving. Uh, he told me the Johnny Ive stuff. And... Uh, he's leaving by the end of the year. Um, it would be around uh, the developers' conference in June. Um, and so the couple of weeks thing makes sense, but I didn't just run it after the reliable right. source told me. I right. took me a few days to confirm it with other people. I, would, I don't really run anything uh, by a single source. So, yeah, a couple of weeks thing makes sense. Yeah, what I heard was that, and I don't think it was company-wide. It wasn't like a, you know, to every single Apple employee, but it was at least announced entirely within the graphic, or not graphic design, but user interface design group that, you know, that he'd be retiring. 
uh, I think like three three weeks or so, at least three weeks before your report came out. Okay. So everybody within Apple who worked under him or knew him knew about it. Right. And that to me, it shows just how tight a ship Apple runs that it took three weeks for anybody to get the news that he that he was retiring. Yeah. Apparently, it was open news, and this is what I've heard from a few friends. I did not go. I didn't make it out to MacWorld Expo this year. Um, but apparently, it was sort of an open secret there among you know people who work at Apple and and people who follow it. You know, the writer types who follow it that that he'd announced his retirement. But it was always under the. You know, every discussion about it was off the record, so there wasn't. It wasn't like anybody knew about it and could have written it, but nobody had it. Right. I guess it's understandable. I mean, if you hadn't told me the uh, off the record part, I mean, I guess my response would be: if you're a writer and you heard that, you should have posted it. But uh, no, it wasn't. Yeah, I don't think anybody had it and just sat on it. But I have to say, the more I dug into this, I've got a surprising amount of pushback from, let's say, informed sources that the friction with Johnny Ive angle is, in the words of one of them, quote, bullshit. <laughs> now, it's yeah. not to say, again, I don't want to fight with you. I'm not because I don't know. I have not, I've never met Greg Christie. I didn't speak to him. He's not, you know, I don't have any firsthand information. I mean, I don't even know what the guy looks like. Can't find a picture of him on Google. Uh, you know? I've seen him speak at WWDC, but it's very, I, I'm not, I'm like the world's worst, like witness, like <laughs> he's a white guy, you know, somewhere in his probably late forties. Yeah. I mean, I only know about him as a cartoon his, from the, uh, right. from the Samsung trail, but I have to say, and, and, and I think, you know, there, there, it, it, it definitely got a result and there's, you know, you can't pin it, but you know, there, after your report, your report came out. And then I think the next day there was a report in the Wall Street Journal okay, that had right. a quote from Apple PR. Yep. And the quote from Apple PR definitely downplayed or I don't know if you would say denied. I don't know. But but went against the grain that there was any sort of personal personality conflict between him and Johnny Ive. Sure. If I remember the quote correctly, something about like after 20 years, Greg Christie is retiring um and he worked closely with johnny for whatever a number of years um so yeah i guess i agree it's borderline it's not really a denial nor no. a confirmation but you know apple pr has a has an agenda they're not going to come out and say that there was friction you know well but i it would depend on like, the record they certainly of made no effort whatsoever to downplay the friction with uh, Scott Forstall. This is true. This is true. Um, in fact, I would say that the press release that they announced when Forstall, you know, uh, I don't even know if they called it a resignation, but the the you know the whole thing in the headline about increased collaboration, yeah. implicit, you know, almost it's not explicit, but implicitly is saying that collaboration was you know. Uh, wasn't working while Forstall was there. Right. Know, the, um, so I would put a little, you know, but there's clearly, though, it, it's in Apple's interest to, um, it, 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 it not have Johnny Ive perceived as a uh, Machiavellian wheeler and dealer. Like, that goes against the public persona that he has, and it doesn't serve Johnny Ive's interests. Um, uh, and let's just say, for example, this is, 
you know, right now for this discussion, whether it's true or not, sure. to whatever degree it is, it's not in Apple's interest to have Johnny Ive perceived that way. Right. So if it is true, if he is this Machiavellian character or has that slant to it and is sort of um, uh, creating a lot of friction in the user as he takes over more authority in the user interface design and is pushing people out. And if, let's just say that, you know, if it were true that he effectively pushed Christie out. Which my report him, never said. Right, right. That's true. That's very true. If, you know, I, and I'll emphasize that. Um, but I think some people came away with from your report with that perception. But if it is true, it would be in Apple's interest, or at least Apple PR's interest, to downplay that, or at least try to downplay it or get people to walk it back. Sure. Uh, and if it if it weren't true, it would also be in their interest. So the fact that Apple's PR, you know, either way, whether it's the true or not, or how, whatever shade of gray it is, right? Because the truth is almost certainly somewhere in the middle. But wherever it is on the shade of gray, really, really light gray, really dark gray, Apple PR would probably take the exact same response. Sure. And the quote that they gave to the Wall Street Journal probably would have been the same. So it is... What's the word? Dispositive? It doesn't prove anything. Yeah. I mean, a couple points there. Um, <clears throat> going back to our early discussion in terms of the broken telephone, I mean, my report could say one thing and then another site picks it up and says that, oh, 9 to 5 says that uh, I fired uh, Greg Christie. Right. Um, so that, that's one point. Another point is, I mean, Apple, they uh, $200 billion cash in the bank company, the iPad, the iPhone, all, all these products. You mean, you don't push out these devices and have a company this large with everyone holding hands and, you know, dancing around in circles. I mean, there's going to be friction to get these products out the door. And, you know, Steve Jobs even said himself, Johnny has more authority than anyone else at Apple. This was in the biography. Not Tim Cook, not Phil Schiller, not Scott Forstall back then, but, you know, Johnny Ive, his uh, spiritual partner. So I don't think it's too much to say or assume, uh, not saying I assumed anything, just talking as a... Uh, Industry, talking as an industry watcher here, that, you know, Johnny, if he wants something done, he gets it done. And, I mean, the story goes in terms of the friction that as they were working on iOS 7 or when Johnny decided that iOS 7 was going to be overhauled with his design aesthetic, that, you know, Greg Christie was on board wanting to do this with him and, you know, within Federighi's group. But over time, Johnny really, you know, overstepped... Um, the bounds there, reaching into the user interface team, really circumventing Christie's control and, you know, speaking to Christie's uh, designers and engineers and just getting things done uh, without Christie's approval, kind of just like, you know, stepping on his toes a bit. Um, and I guess with 10.10 around the corner with this new design and the whole future of iOS, I guess uh, Johnny and Christie and the other executives at Apple made the decision that it was time to just move all design under Johnny Ive, not just hardware, not Johnny providing influence and leadership and, and guidance to software, but literally putting software under his belt as well. The way I've heard it, and this is from multiple sources, and I think, you know, I think it's that's an interesting, I think you combine these two takes and the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Right. But what I've heard, and all of this came to light, this is, a, well, not all of it, but most of it is stuff that I heard after your report. And none of it None of this is from Apple PR. This is from other people actually in, you know, either in, formerly in, or somehow, you know, 
as they say, uh, familiar with the matter, but with user interface design group, uh, which used to be, you know, f I think four different groups. I think there was the, there's like, the, it was a lot more scattered before the, the Johnny Ive is going to take over software where there was like the iLife user interface group. Um, I'm not quite sure if iOS and macOS 10 were two different groups, but the the ones that were formerly more under Forstall, but like Forstall wasn't really in charge of like the iLife apps, like iPhoto and iMovie and those, those were separate. Right. People familiar with those things, let's just say. <laughs> sure. uh, and who were definitely, there's no doubt in my mind, speaking not on behalf or prompted by PR. Sure. In fact, the opposite. Where And I don't know that Apple PR would disagree with a word they said, but I think you know if they found out about it, they could be in trouble. Um, and there's a certain contingent of people out there who it doesn't matter what I say, that they think Apple PR is all-knowing and all-powerful and that they see these conspiracies and no matter what, uh, if, if I say it's, you know, ground level employees they're they're going to say well it might be ground level employees but somebody from apple pr came and said here tell gruber this <laughs> and that's not the case it really is not that and that is not how apple pr works if apple pr wants to say something they just they say it they're not you know duplicitous like that um but the gist of the Greg Christie story that I've heard, the way I've heard it, is it really wasn't friction. I don't think – I think there's certainly a case to be made that that stylistically Christie may not have been on board with everything related to the iOS 7 look and feel. But I, he was not opposed to it. It wasn't like he was pushed you – know, you know it, it, you know how there's like a lot of people out there who really just don't like iOS 7 users. Right. And I think a lot of them read this and they see Christie as seeing it their way and that Christie was a, like an iOS 7 hater. And that is absolutely not true. Yeah, I don't it's, disagree. I mean, I remember right. he had the whole WWDC session talking about it so profoundly and with such knowledge that, you know, you could really tell that it was, you know, he was a big part of it. So, uh, And, you know, the, the, the hierarchy always went where Christie's group was in the engineering group. And in the old days, they were under Bertrand. And uh, eventually, they were effectively under Forstall. Right. That there was this, there wasn't, there was never much of a chain of command above Greg Christie's head, at least, I mean, I don't know, about 18 years ago when he started. But in the, you know, let's say in the, in the iPhone era, uh, you know, Christie originally reported to Forstall. And Forstall, of course, only reported to Steve Jobs. Right. And then even when Steve Jobs was dead, the only person really above Christie was Forstall. Yep. At least for iOS stuff. Uh, and so when they announced that shakeup when Forstall was out and Johnny Ive was taking over, they didn't really change the org chart. And yes, Greg Christie officially reported to, and I guess, I don't know, maybe he still does. I'm not quite sure when that, change is going to take but yeah until recently he reported officially to federighi right because federighi took over as head of engineering right. um but it has never been the case that 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 he really reported to federighi because it's really you know federighi you know i think he's very popular and i think he's deemed as being very successful so far but there is this complete separation now between design and engineering where Federighi is not a Forstall type person at all, where Forstall, if anything, was more concerned with the design than the engineering. 
even though he came up, you know, as a next pro next step programmer and certainly understood the engineering. Right. Um, that the org chart be damned ever since, as soon as Forstall was out and Johnny Ive was named in charge of software, Greg Christie had been reporting directly to Johnny Ive the whole time and that there was no, there's really no difference. The only difference with what's been announced recently is making official on the internal org chart what had been the de facto flow of authority ever since that announcement was made. Right. And what I've heard is that, again, this is like third hand, but I believe it, I really do, that, that after your report, and that Apple had to go to the journal and stuff like that and and issue this thing that Christie was at least slightly distressed by the whole thing because he saw it as so outside the truth that he really it really is the case. I mean, this sounds this isn't quite right, but that he's really just a guy who's been there for 20 years and is tired and he's made an awful lot of money and just wants to take some time to enjoy it. You know, like for all the people out there who have ever thought, hey, if I ever made like a couple million bucks and I was, you know, or a lot of million bucks and I was, you know, I'm not going to wait till I'm old to enjoy it. Well, I think that's more or less where Greg Christie is. But yet he's leaving and it seems like there's, you know, there's this bad taste now in the mouth that the story is he's leaving because he disagreed with Johnny Ive. And it's not the case at all. Yeah. I mean, I understand that perspective. Um, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's probably in the uh, gray area there. I mean, I don't think my report says that, you know, I've pushed out Christie. I just, I think it just stated facts. And if people read it a certain way, they read it a certain way, but right. I didn't mean to come off as, you know, Johnny pushed out, uh, Christie. I mean, there's been clear stories about executive uh, shakeups at Apple in recent years. I mean, I remember Bloomberg had a headline, the end of uh, 2012, like, you know, Eddie Q fires uh, Williamson, who ran Maps. I mean, I didn't come out there and right. say, I fires Christie over design differences. Right. So, no, and it's, you know, but it's the way that people, like you said, like the, the what's it, what did you say? What's it? The, the broken telephone. You, yeah, yeah, the broken tel the telephone game where yeah. it's, you know, you, by the second or third telling, it becomes a story of conflict. And it's yeah. really not the case at all. Um, and the examples I heard cited too, in terms of like that, that there's almost proof that Christie is going out on on his own terms and on very good terms, is that it was just a few weeks ago where Apple did something very very unusual, which was it was it, it, it was like the PR run up to the Samsung Apple trial retrial. I yeah. don't know what. what uh, where they gave NPR and I think the Wall Street Journal access to Christie uh, and, and let him talk and show the little lab where, where they ginned up the first version of the iPhone interface. Right. And they showed like how they use it. I thought it was pretty cool the way that they used like, uh, so this was like 2006 while they were working on this. They used like a three or four or five year old G3 PowerBook to power it so that they'd have a device, you know, that the that they couldn't cheat and have a CPU that was going to be a lot faster than what the iPhone would actually be able to have. Right. Really like, fascinating stuff. It's always interesting in uh, retrospect to see, you know, looking back about how certain things came to be. Right. But that was actually after, like, so when Apple, you know, clearly let Greg Christie, and this is how crazy some people are, is that uh, 
I had a couple people write to me at Daring Fireball and say, do you think that maybe they pushed Christie out because he talked to the Wall Street Journal and NPR <laughs> no, about the thing that, you know, that he broke the secret code about how they made the iPhone? I was like, no, no, no. You know, yeah. that's, that is a total, you know, that's a, that's an exclusive that was authorized by right, Apple, not, of course. not something that Greg Christie went nuts and did on his own. Right. And, you know, to your point about that, I mean, this uh, Wall Street Journal interview and the uh, whole, uh, Samsung trial stuff. This was just in the last couple of weeks. You don't find it interesting that there was no identification by Christie at the trial or in any of those stories that, you know, he's not in charge anymore. I mean, I look back at the Wall Street Journal story, it clearly says that Christie is still in charge of human interface design at Apple after, you know, working there for a number of years. So you'd think they would have uh, identified that maybe. Oh, I'm not quite sure. I don't think I follow. What are you saying? So, like, who would have followed? Like, you know, Greg Christie identified himself as, you know, head of human interface design uh, just oh. a couple weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal and the uh, NPR right. interviews. So I just found that interesting that he never noted that he's leaving. No, but he, but everybody at Apple already knew that he was. Right. And the interview, I mean, obviously it was, you know, as a company, the you know, the company's interest in those stories was to sort of emphasize, look at the amazing work we have to do to, cre we had to do to create the original iPhone. Right. And it's all in the context of, you know, getting the company's side of this fight and Samsung out in the public. But a corollary to that, like a secondary thing, was that Greg Christie is very, this, here's the thing, is he's a very popular guy. For he sure. is a really, really well-liked person within Apple. Uh, really seems like the type of person who gets along with a lot of people is has had a very like you said you can't find pictures you can try to find photos of him it's very hard to find photos of him he's had a very low profile yeah but he's been hugely influential um uh you know spent a lot of time working directly with steve jobs on on whatever you know pet projects of you know whatever jobs that you know had his pants on fire for <laughs> uh, you know interface wise um and a lot of people within Apple who saw him and knew that, you know, he's not that well known, that his, his, his work is far, you know, outweighs his uh, renown, were really happy to set that up for him and have this thing where he got a lot more public credit than he's ever gotten before. Right. And, and but now they're all a little like, they think that, the, you know, now the follow-up that it, that that's being played as... Um, conflict with Johnny Ive. And again, like you said, you didn't use the word conflict, but clearly though, there's a perception out there now Sure. in some of the second and third hand reporting that, ah, man, that stinks. And now he's upset about it. I mean, look, even the Wall Street Journal heard from their own sources about how uh, there was disagreements in design direction between Christie and Ive. So it's not like I'm the only person saying that. Hey, are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. You know, I've got this, I got a loose microphone, uh, USB cord on my microphone and it, oh. gravity just pulled it out. Uh, what, it, what you were saying that the wall street journal had something about the conflict over design. Yeah. The wall street journal had a, a line in that story that you mentioned saying that according to, you know, a person familiar with the matter, uh, Greg Christie and uh, Johnny, I didn't always see eye to eye or they had disagreements over design yeah. direction. So, yeah, and I think that that's really pretty much how all design works at Apple, right? right? I mean, do you think, like, so here's a guy who spent most of his 18 years uh, 
effectively reporting to Steve Jobs, sure. right? Because Christie worked on the highest profile design stuff because yep. he was, you know, the top of the heap. And, you know, it's not like every single pixel of everything goes went through Steve Jobs, but it was, you know, what does Steve care about now? And, you know, that's where, you know, better call Christian. Do you really think, you know, does anybody think that there weren't disagreements over, you know, colors or font sizes or any detail working with Steve? You know, that's just the way it is. I mean, I don't, it seems you know, that way. I mean, Apple, a lot of people who are really just in love with the company, they seem to ignore or just completely disregard the fact that friction needs to happen. There needs to be disagreements right. for these products to be uh, released. I mean, the classic story of Steve Jobs pinning Forrestal against Tony Fidel against each other. Who can make the better phone? And right. the, that team gets that. I mean, you think Forrestal's team would have uh, come up with something so, so innovative that literally changed the entire technology world and so many other industries if they weren't competing against something? I mean, if you don't have a your head against the wall, you're not going to get much done. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I think that, you know, I saw in the light of all this stuff, and again, a lot of credit to you because you're the one who broke that, that Christie's leaving, but they got a lot. I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter from readers who were saying that they're worried about the whole direction of Apple software under Johnny Ive. You know, this doesn't sound good. Uh, I think that what you what would worry me is if I heard stories that there weren't arguments about the stuff because if if nobody's arguing then nobody's really trying to push it forward that's fair right i mean i don't think those comments make much sense um in light of the christie story i mean if people didn't like ios 7 design or they're concerned about ive those comments should have came uh what is it 10 nine months ago already and i, I mean i'm sure there there were lots of comments i remember all the hate right. about ios 7 back then so i mean this is what johnny ive wants the the software to look like so this is nothing new in particular right. i mean Maybe people are forward-thinking five, ten years down the road, but you know, right now, ten point ten is going to look like iOS seven, and iOS eight, iOS nine are going to look like iOS seven. So I wouldn't think of anything imminent. And I think if uh, Johnny Ive had even bigger ideas or wanted the software to look a completely different way than iOS seven looks, that's what iOS seven would look like. You know, right. he only gets one shot to uh, revamp the whole look. Yeah, and in terms of Christie going out on his own, what I've heard is, you know, again, there's no date set, but I've heard that he's probably going to stay not not just through WWDC, but probably more towards the end of the year, like the actual calendar year. Interesting. It's very possible. Uh, I mean, I heard specifically around WWDC, but I could be wrong about that. Well, we'll see. I guess. Well, actually, who knows? Because, you know, Apple is so goddamn secretive. I mean, the guy, you know. A little birdie will tell you. Right. Well, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I do think, too, though, that this is another one of those cases where Apple being so secretive, I, I, I feel like it can't be any other way because either you're a secretive company or you're not a secretive company. You can't be. It's like being pregnant. You can't be, you know, kind of pregnant. Right. Um, but it hurts them, I think, in terms of the way that when most companies, when somebody of Greg Christie's internal stature announces his retirement, uh, not that they would make a big big press release out of it and expect national news, but they would have announced it somehow, you know, that it, it's, it, it's unusual for someone as influential, like at a vice president level to, to be leaving on his own terms with no internal real unpleasantness. This is a guy who's had a great career, done great things and is announcing it. And, you know, nobody inside the company says anything to anybody outside the company. Right. And then they lose the ability to control the narrative on that. 
Sure. And to that, I'd say that they had a absolutely massive opportunity to get that information out there um, in the Wall Street Journal, in the Samsung trial with a NPR and NPR was, you know, a voice interview too. Yeah. They could have gotten that information out there if they wanted to. They could have made it national news. It could yeah, have been a I, I, I have to wonder why they didn't. Why they didn't say that. I don't know if it has something, you know, that they thought maybe it would lessen the weight of his testimony if it seemed as though he had one foot out the door, you know, Perhaps. One, one foot on his, you know, upcoming yacht or whatever he's going to do. Right. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure if that was part of it or not. And you know, who knows? It could have been one of those things where maybe they were like 51% one way, 49% the other, like kind of had it written two ways. And then at the last minute, like, ah, let's just not say anything about it. And then as soon as, you know, it, the news broke that he was leaving and it didn't play the way they thought it should have played, they're like, God damn it, we should have, you know, we should have announced it. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if Christie is who, you know, everyone is making him out to be, which I, I don't know, such a you know, amazing figure inside the company, you know, the 51% probably should have leaned the other way, you know? Yeah. If anything, what I've heard is that he's, he got along better with Johnny Ive than, than, you know, Forstall. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's probably not too surprising. And I think it's mostly Johnny's personality, you know, and again, and it's one of those things where who knows what they disagreed with in terms of, Hey, what, what color should this button be when you tap on it? Right. But that's not, that's the sort of thing where they could argue, you know, all week long and not come to an agreement. And eventually Johnny might have to say, you know what, we're going to have to do it my way. And there's no hard feelings. That's just, that's just working at Apple and doing design, but that they actually got along swimmingly and consider themselves, you know, good friends. Right. Let me take a final break here and thank, thank our last sponsor. And then we'll get back and we'll talk about a couple other specific upcoming uh, rumors. Um, and it's our good friends at Backblaze. You guys know Backblaze. They're longtime sponsors of this show. Unlimited, unthrottled backup for your Mac for $5 a month per Mac. And it backs up everything. Backs up your whole drive. They have over, collectively, 100 petabytes of data backed up. Over 5 billion files have been restored by users of Backblaze. 5 billion files have been restored. They have an iOS app, lets you access and share any of your files from your iPhone or iPad. So you back up your whole Mac. You've got a Backblaze account. It's all nice and secure. You're out and about. You have your iPhone. You can just use the iPhone app to access any file that's in your Backblaze that's backed up from your Mac to Backblaze. Always mention, I always mention this. Founded by ex-Apple engineers so their code you know it's good it runs native on your mac it's uh supports mavericks completely it's not one of these it's not some janky code that is written by people from a windows background or something like that it's perfect real nice quiet you won't even know it's running in the background no add-ons no gimmicks no upsell it really is just five dollars per month per computer for unlimited unthrottled backup uh i've been telling you about this for months i don't know uh, how many of you out there who still haven't tried it Everybody I know who tries Backblaze sticks with it. It's just amazing. You'll sleep better at night knowing that you have backups off-site, away from your computer, not just a, a cloned hard disk sitting right next to your computer ready to be you know, destroyed by a, the same fire or water link above the, your desk or something like that. Um, really great stuff. Here's where you go to find out more. Backblaze.com slash DaringFireball. Backblaze.com slash DaringFireball. Uh, 
Go try it. If you haven't tried it, you're nuts. So macOS 10.10, which I think is what they're going to call it, or yep. at least they're going to number it. Um, I've heard the same thing. I, in fact, it's you know it's a done deal. I mean, yeah. it's already April, so they're you know must have been hard at work at it. But I have not seen it. I I can honestly say that I haven't seen it. Nobody's shown me. Um, but in a nutshell, that it's going to look like iOS seven. Yep. Yep. That's I've heard exactly the same. Uh, it's quote unquote uh, dramatic or uh, significant. So it's going to be the uh, perhaps the biggest new uh, feature in ten point ten, and they're calling it C raw after the the wine internally. I have no idea what the California spot will be, but I have to th- yeah, and I don't know. The, the names like that are probably the best and tightest held secrets at Apple because I don't. I think that there's no reason for those. You know. You know, like, you know, like the, you know, you're talking about like the last one is Mavericks. Right. And they've said they're all going to be named after places in California going forward. There's no reason for that sort of thing to go outside a very, very tight circle. Absolutely. Uh, you know, probably like Schiller and, and Johnny Ive, you know, at that level, because, at the you know, they can brand that all at the last minute. Sure. Uh, my guess, and this is just a guess, I'm going to go with Yosemite. Ooh. Just because... Just because uh, it's going to be a big change. Because what looks big is big, branding-wise. Right. Right. Even if, you know, like, clearly the biggest up uh, versions of Mac OS X were, like, the shift from PowerPC to Intel. Because everything had to be recompiled, and all sorts of technical stuff had to change. Uh, Snow Leopard was a big change they added all this low-level stuff behind the scenes like grand central dispatch and really really big stuff like at a nerdy computer science study how the operating system level uh, works and famously they even bragged about it you know marketing wise not many new features we're really working on you know the behind the scenes stuff so they gave it a name you know the previous version was leopard they said we're going to call it snow leopard because it's leopard with you know not many new features. This, because it looks new, I think they're going to give it a big push marketing-wise as being new, even if technically it's actually not that different. It's really just a new look. Sure. So Yosemite's my guess, because I don't know what else, you know, to me it's the biggest. That's a great name, too. I totally agree uh, in terms of, like, Yosemite being big, and it's well-known, and it's pretty dramatic, and that goes well with what the redesign is going to be. You know, I'm a Southern California guy, so I'm hoping for something like uh, Zuma or Malibu, just like a beach that represents, like, you know, you always think of it in your head as like a sunset, like a new beginning type of thing. Yeah, Mal- I could see Malibu. The only thing is, like, I can't see them going back to a beach after Mavericks True. right away. True. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, and then, you know, in the whole telephone game, I'm sure somebody's going to listen to this episode and they're going to say John Gruber says that the new version of Mac OS X will be called Yosemite. Oh, for sure. Like, without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, those of you, whoever you are out there who's already typing the headline into your WordPress.com front end, I'm totally guessing. Nobody, I don't know anybody who would tell me anything like that. There's because no little stuff like that. Yeah. Stuff like that isn't in the seeds that's, you know. Like you said, it's what they the internal code names are named after like wine. Yeah. Uh I'm curious. I'm really curious how they're going to deal with drop shadows. And I know it seems like a weird thing to get hung up on. Um not when you're talking about Apple though. I mean right. But it, it 
So uh, the iOS 7 look gets rid of almost all shadows. I think to the point where some things look bad, like and I always say popovers on iPad in iOS 7, to me, look, they just look unfinished, like an unfinished design, because they're, they are over. They're popped over the content, but with no shadow, it just looks like this weird white round rectangle that's just drawn over your content. Right. Kind of like mail in portrait mode on the iPad. I see what you mean that, there. Kind of looks right. like a split view, but that's not the intention, and the intention is going over the content. Um, right. So it's interesting. And like on the Mac, I mean, the Mac is designed to have multiple windows open at once. Exactly and, where I'm going. Right. right. So if there's no drop shadows behind these windows, it's going to be a, it's going to be a mess. So I think it's going to be there's going to be a decrease there, but maybe not nearly as dramatic as iOS seven. But clearly, the aesthetic is going to be there. Um, and you know, basically, the gist of what I heard, you know, new icon set. Um, the, like you know how the corners on the uh, app windows are slightly rounded, uh, they're getting rid of that. So everything's more squared off and, and fined out. Um, I think they're going to decrease like the shade of metal across the OS quite a bit. More white space. We'll probably see some new translucencies, kind of where the the dock is and notification centers. And yeah, it's it's a. F- and I, 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 I'm really curious to see how it goes because I keep, you know, in like I said, in a nutshell, everybody seems to agree that in a nutshell, it's the iOS seven look. Sure. To Mac. But there's so much about the iOS seven look that to me doesn't work with layered windows. Sure. And you which know, there's is the lack of shadows and the transparency thing is another thing where you really and like wind, you know, Windows, Microsoft really found this out with. Um, was it Vista or was it, I think it was Vista where they went overboard with the transparency. Yeah. But it really, when you have overlapping windows, the transparency becomes an unreadable mess if it's too transparent. Right. Like it works on iOS 7, I think, because you never have more than one thing stacked on a time. So like when you bring up one transparent thing, like by sliding up from the bottom to get the, uh, what's that called? Activity view or what's it, what's the thing you slide up from the bottom? On what, iOS? Yeah. Control center. Control center. Yeah. Uh, it works because it's only over one thing. Right. Whereas that sort of, you know, frosted glass look, you can't just have a bunch of windows with that floating over each other. Right. Or you right. can't read anything. So the, I'm curious the how they're going to do it. And I'm really curious how they're going to handle shadows because iOS 7 doesn't really have any. And the current Mac OS 10 look, and I think this is one of those things that hasn't really changed all the way back to Mac OS 10.0 back in like 2001 is that the shadow size has always bothered me. It's just way too big. It looks like each window is like an inch above the other one, even though there's no actual parallax of, you know, windows shrinking behind and stuff like that. Right, like I always notice that if you take a screenshot on OS Ten of a window and you just open it up like in Quick Look or whatever, you can see that huge... Huge shadow. It's right. like an inch, right? It's, yeah. it's humongous. Gets and annoying it, too sometimes. Yeah. Right, and it doesn't make any sense to me because it seems as though, because Windows, nothing gets smaller. So it seems like it's they're very thin, like semantically. They're very thin layers on top of each other, very close to each other. But yet there's these shadows that make it look as though they're all an inch apart. And yet there's no... Um, there's no 3D parallax to it. Right. I mean, I guess the, like, removing shadows would be, you know, more detrimental on the Mac, where lots of people still use it with multiple windows open simultaneously. But, you know, on iOS, you know, 
scene lab at a time. And I guess if OS ten was the same way, shadows wouldn't be as important there. You know, there's yeah. also been a lot of talk about, you know, what a desktop version of the iOS seven design would look like. And a lot of people pointing to the iCloud.com, the uh yes. did that last year. Yeah. I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think iCloud.com is basically a web-based replication of the iPad apps. And that's always what it's been, uh, even back to the first version of iCloud.com. I mean, the leather-stitched notes app, calendar app, reminders, etc. And now it just looks like iPad apps. Um, yeah, and the other thing, too, is that they don't have to deal with layering, right? Right, Because it's one thing at a time filling your browser window. Right. And, and I, so I, yeah, I don't think that's a good way to look either. And no. the timing doesn't work out either because the iCloud.com apps have had that look for many months now. They changed that a, pretty much shortly after iOS 7 came right, out. Right, right, right. Whereas that's the timeline where I feel like they were really hammering away on the fundamentals of what this new look for the Mac is going to look like. Like sure. it came out way too early. They, they did, you know, the Mac stuff wasn't anywhere close to being done. Totally agree. Yeah, and from what I've heard, like the design of 10.10 has really iterated a lot the last few months. So, like you said, it would make sense to look like iCloud.com, seeing they did iCloud.com like alongside 7 in last September, and now nearly a year later, it's not going to look the same. That wouldn't make much sense. No, there's so many iterations. I mean, that's, you know, if there's any, if there's any one word that describes the Apple design process, it's iterations. For sure. That, um, Here's a question about some of the, the your style. And man, maybe it's not from you. It's actually sort of nine to five Mac house style, and sure. it's very, very common. It's it's more or less, I think, almost the standard for the industry, which is that. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but okay. when you when you wrote about Mac OS 10.10 having this iOS 7 look and feel, yep. you included with the story a mock-up. And not one that you commissioned, but like here's here's some guy on the internet's idea of what an iOS seven version of macOS ten would look like. Sure. And another example, and again, this isn't you, but there's other sites. Ours does it. Everybody does it. Is somebody says, uh, rumor comes out that the new iPhone is going to have uh, edge to edge glass, no bezel along the side. Yep. And then there will be a picture of a mock-up of an iPhone with edge-to-edge glass. But it's not a mock-up from the source. It's just we went out, we had to have we had to have an illustration for this story, so we went out and found one that sort of fits. Right. That always bothers me as a reader and like as a sort of armchair uh, journalism critic because to me it's like you have a good story. And it's an interesting source, but then you've illustrated it with something that's just pulled out of the air. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, in terms of that 10.10 example, I think you're referring to that roundup I did of uh, 10.10 iOS 8 out of WWDC. Um, That was my decision to put that mock-up there. Admittedly, I probably could have done a better job saying that that was a mock-up, but I do think illustration is extremely important. And also, to be extremely honest, if I had an exact idea of what 10.10 would have looked like, I would have had my own mock-up made that would be, you know, pretty right. damn close to the real thing. Because I have been doing that for, right. for several years. When I know exactly how something's going to look, I'm going to take the time to get a great mock-up done. I mean, I did this with you, the Retina MacBook Pro in 2012, all the iOS stuff the last couple of years. Didn't you? Do, I think you did it with some icons, uh, right? Yes, we also did that with the iOS 7 icons 
last year before WWE. Yeah, and they came out pretty good, you know, like in that police sketch style way, right? Like if police sketch says, hey, here's the guy who robbed the 7-Eleven, and then yes. when they catch him and you look and you're like, hey, that's actually a pretty good sketch. I would say that those icons that you commissioned were good in that sense. Right. The, um, the thing with those icons, that was the night before WWDC. If we got those, the design of the icons a couple weeks before WWDC, we would have had stellar mock-ups that would look right. exactly like the icons on the home screen. Well, that's why, to me, it, it, because you do that, and you, you know, if you know and you can commission a, a mock-up based on what you know or what you've seen or what like a source has seen, then when you do this like where you'll just say, well, I don't have that, but here's, here's some other guy's you know, uh, guess as to what it could look like. To me, it takes away from when you actually have it. I agree. And I know because I clo- – you know, it's, it, this circles back to like what we were talking about at the very beginning. I read your stuff very, very closely, and I note the exact words that you use, but most people don't. Sure, sure. Right, you include that screenshot with your story, and most people are going to who see it are going to think that's supposed to be what it looks like. You're right. That's a good point because that particular story it was a mix of iOS eight stuff and ten point ten. All the iOS eight stuff, those mockups and images up there, that's what the real thing looks like. And then at the bottom, I put a totally bogus image of what ten point ten would look like. Uh, that wasn't a great call on my part. But yeah. what are you what are you hearing about macOS or not macOS iOS eight? iOS eight, hearing a lot. I mean. The big feature is going to be the uh, health book, which is basically passbook for your health. It's going to aggregate lots of data, like uh, blood sugar, calories burned, other fitness statistics. Yeah, but for most people, it's not going to have the blood sugar. It's not going to have my blood sugar because it's not going to be able to read my blood sugar. The phone? Right? Well, would... Of course not. It's going to work with the... I mean, the big question here is, is it going to work with some Apple hardware at first? Will it be right. like iTunes coming before the iPod? Will it just work? Yeah, good analogy. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, I think the most likely scenario for the very imminent future would be hooking up to the plethora of health iPhone connected accessories that Apple's been hyping up for years. Uh, you know, like I remember when they announced iPhone OS 3 way back in 2009, they had that demo of the, uh, I don't, I think it was a glucose uh, blood sugar checker on stage, and that was a huge deal. And now there's Wi Fi based scales blood pressure checkers, all sorts of stuff, pedometers that they could, you know, hook up and aggregate in a singular place. Yeah, I, that's how I kind of see it. And, and again, there might be, a, you know, I don't want to go on too much longer, but we can talk about the, the wearable rumors and stuff. And so clearly there's an awful lot of rumors that Apple is going to come out with some devices that are, you know, some sort of fitness health monitoring type stuff. And they've made hiring, they've hired people with backgrounds in that sort of thing. So it certainly wouldn't, at this point, shock anybody if Apple came out with a peripheral that took some of these measurements and then, you know, synced by a Bluetooth to your iPhone and iPad with HealthBook. Right. The smoke's clearly um, there. But I think a lot of this stuff, though, is going to be left to third parties. And, you know, you know, like, for example, like blood sugar. So if you have, you know, if you have diabetes, that's a huge deal. Right. But they're going to leave that to medical companies and then let, you know, more or less like what the App Store is to apps. And yeah, Apple does some apps and they have new apps, you know, and, and they, you know, obviously they care about things like email and the web and calendar. 
Um, but they don't worry about having every little thing. Sure. You know, that they're happy to let thousands and thousands of developers fill in all those gaps. And I feel like it'll be the same way with the medical devices. Right. They'll fill in the software gap. They'll give it uh, to right. every iPhone user the opportunity to hook up their accessories to that. They'll have beautifully presented graphs, right. all sorts of data comparison features. So I think, you know. Apple doesn't need to sell every diabetic a blood sugar monitoring device. It's more than enough for Apple if it becomes well-known. Hey, if you have diabetes, you really want to get an iPhone because if right. you do, boom, 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 this is fantastic. Right, and even the design of the application, the name, HealthBook, the, the icon, it all screams Passbook for Health. I mean, it's literally a duplicate of Passbook, but with health statistics, health data. Yeah. So I think it's pretty clear that it's going to be an aggregator, at least at first. Uh, you had screenshots of the actual app. Yes. Uh, do you wonder whether that is uh, like a stand-in for pre-release? Because it looked the one thing that struck me about it is it looked so much like Passbook, it almost looked confusingly like Passbook. Like you'd you know more similar than I would think the two apps would look as two different apps. I mean, I kind of had the exact opposite opinion. I thought that it was extremely polished compared to the other stuff regarding iOS 8 that I've seen. So it seems definitely more polished than other parts of the operating system. Like they've clearly been working on it for a long time. Of course, the design can and probably will change a bit. Um, but I know that's the design that's been used and tested with iOS 8 for, for several months now. So, But it's like the real, you, you're, you're sure, you know, yeah, again, not that it's final. Everything gets tweaked up until the course, end. But, of course, of course. But that at the time that you had the screenshots, that was what the app was intended to look like at this moment. Yes. It's not like, hey, we'll gin up this thing that looks like Passbook while we show it to our partners because we don't want them to see the real thing. No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't sit on that. Okay. Um, it was pretty pretty immediate. Like, do you, you hear anything else? I have not heard. I've heard much more about the visual changes to Mac OS X than iOS eight. iOS eight, yeah, I heard a, heard a bunch of stuff besides the health book, uh, improved Maps app, polished up data, better views of like where streets are, and of course the transit mode, uh, which I, I have heard they're having a hard time with in terms of sorting the data. They they don't want a repeat of the uh, data aggregation problems from ios 6's launch so we'll see if transit will make it to the final i've heard thing. that transit is extremely hard because yes. it's none of it is um and and it's almost like a hats off to google for getting it as well as they do because none of it is regularized there's no standard for how a municipal transit authority should put the transit info on the web it's right. just it's almost like back to the days before RSS feeds where people had to screen scrape HTML and parse the HTML and every site's HTML was different. So it, you, you more or less had to like special case every single city right, or website for in the web scraping days. But for transit now, you pretty much have to do each, every single transit authority, you pretty much have to do individually because everybody reports the data differently. Right. And it's not like Apple went out and just created or, you know, took all this data for itself. This is a direct... Um, well, what it seems on the surface to be just similar to what they did before, acquired a bunch of companies and, and data sources, and they're mixing it up all together. And I think that at this point, following the, I guess, disaster of uh, iPhone iOS 6 maps launched in 2012, is they'd rather pull the feature, even though they're testing it now, than launch something that's not ready to go, Yeah, especially in the Maps app. I also think, I think look and feel wise, and I think this is sort of that Johnny Ive influence, where yeah, I think Johnny Ive 
in all aspects sort of goes for a sort of more timeless look, like away from trendiness. And even though it sounds ridiculous because flat design became such a oft-used term in the last 18 months or it's so. It's a fad already. Right, but I don't think it is. I think he sees it as as a more timeless style. And maybe it went too flat. That's what I think. I think maybe they'll dial back in a little bit more texture, I hope. But just a little, just a touch. Perhaps. But, I, I don't. I haven't heard anything to point to that. But uh, in the way that, like, you know, the Porsche 911 has looked like the same car for 50 years, just yeah, slowly evolved year over year. In the right. way that, especially starting with the, um, the iPhone 4, that all iPhones since have been sort of, oh, you know, you can just tell when somebody has an iPhone in their hand. Right. It's a great point. Um, although the 5C, you know, obviously is its own unique thing. But the, the unique top in many of the ways. Phones. Yeah. But the, the ones with the, you know, more rectangular corners and this metal frame around the sign, you know, that I think that, that we're done with radical changes to the iOS 7 UI for years to come for sure. We'll see tweaks year over year, but that this general flat look is to the software, what the iPhone four shape was to the hardware. Couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, all indications from iOS a, it's just going to be tweaks here and there to the user interface, but nothing in terms of the overall, uh, philosophy or style behind it. And of course they're going to fix up, you know, the screw-ups in the uh, voice memos app in terms of it being confusing, simplified yeah. notification center a bit. But no, nothing to move away from the uh, this aesthetic. Yeah, they did a lot of that with iOS 7.1, really. I mean, and it's just one of those little things where they've got to be on... The, the OS has to be on the same shipping schedule as the hardware and if right because the hardware had to have ios 7 you know and whatever new phones and ipads they have coming out this year are going to be running I, ios 8 they're For not sure. they're, they're going to be devices that can't boot ios 7 that's right. how it is every year of course so there had to be something called ios 7 that shipped in september because that's when the iphones came out i think that ios 7.1 if ios it, it was just software only and apple didn't do their own hardware 7.1 was the first version that I think they would have shipped. Yeah. And it, it's not just about bugs, but also that they, like you said, they cleared up a lot of navigational ambiguities. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, you can see how much care really went into the move from 7 to 7.1 in terms of design. I mean, forget the new more rounded slider and power off button. But even if you go into the weather app, I mean, something as non-important as the little glyphs to show uh, the snow or the the rain or the clouds and like the days to come and like the week view, those have been changed immensely as well. So yeah. just a small thing that shows the level of detail. Yeah. I'm almost surprised. I think they had to, I think they felt like they had to because they know that I was seven because it was so much in so little time that, it, you know, that they really needed to dig in and, and do a, a pretty significant point one release. I think it's probably the most significant point one release in iOS history. But Probably, it surprised me because yeah. it took so long because it clearly was eating into the time where iOS 8 development was ramping up. Right, I mean, right. And yeah, that's, that's why, you know, because they want to do these things annually, they don't have much time from when they ship iOS 7 to where they've really got to have most of their engineers working, you know, all week long every day on iOS 8. Right, and you can see the shift there. Like, every year, the, the fewer major point updates to iOS, like... 
Um, there was like iOS 4.3, iOS, um, yeah, 4.3, that was three major point updates to iOS 4. I don't remember how far 3.0 went, maybe the 3.3. Um, but now, I mean, like, we're going from 7.0 to 7.1, and the next big one's going to be 8.0. 6 to 6.1, 7.0, 5, 5.1, 6.0. So they're they're moving quickly. Last but not least, or, or let's say this: What do you would you have, do you have any inklings on on Apple's calendar schedule for the rest of the year? You know, I actually that's something I wanted to talk about, and uh, I believe it was the second quarter or the third quarter earnings call last year. Tim Cook said, "Hey, 2013, we're going to really do everything in the fall, but 2014 is going to be a, a big year. We have big plans for across." And he said the word across 2014. And this was right. not only on the call itself, but in the press release, too. It, and here, here we, we are. Here we are mid-April. Nothing. Or end of April, almost. And not a word. Not, not even. A word. Uh, so in la- two years ago, I think it was two years ago, they had a January event in New York for ebooks and education. Right. And it was sort of a one-off. They've never followed it up. Um, but I kind of felt like it was a, hey, we don't, you know, you know, don't forget about us while we're in the quiet period after the holidays. Um, last year, they didn't do anything until WWDC, and they put that out there. They kind of spread the word that, hey, um, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to have anything to say until WWDC. Um, and this year, they just didn't say anything. They just they've just let it go. They've just let that that late March early February or February and March timeframe where for a couple of years they were announcing new iPads. They've just let it go without announcing anything. Like I kind of thought months ago, if they had new product categories to announce, like what the iPad was in 2010 and 2011, that that would be the time when they would do it because they've moved the iPads to the fall. That's when everybody expects new iPads this year again, but it opens up that February, March area for new product categories. And I was thinking that the, I mean, I know that an Apple TV was planned for introduction in the uh, first half of 2014. It could have been pushed back, could have been delayed for who knows why. But, I mean, with Tim Cook saying that there's going to be new stuff across 2014, including a new product category at some point during the year, you know, something had to go wrong. I mean, the CEO of Apple wouldn't say new products across 2014 and then not release new products across 2014. Yeah, it or, well, I wonder. I'm, maybe something slipped, or maybe it's you know, we know the date for WWDC. It's the first week of June. Right. That still leaves plenty of room, I think, for across the year. Where if the, you know, but I think it would require hardware announcements at WWDC, not just software announcements. Yeah, and I think that's a given at this point. I mean, that well, but I don't know though. A given for what? Announcing what kind of hardware? Laptops, at the very least, I'd say. Well, but see, I don't think that counts. I think something that beyond laptops. I think not that they have to, not that they're going to, but that to sort of hit that that definition of announcing new products across the year, it has to be more than just updated MacBook Airs or MacBook Pros. Could be the new, to, could be the watch. You know, never know. Yeah, or. And again, I don't think this is true because the the phone stuff is so gargantuan in terms of the ramp up in in the supply chain that they can't they just can't keep it secret weeks in advance anymore. Right. Um, 
But, you know, I thought before, in theory, what if they, you know, announce a new iPhone then? What if the iPhone, uh, you know how like the two years ago they came out, they were the first iPads with the Retina displays, the iPad 3, and then six months later they said, here's the iPad 4 with a Retina display and, a, you know, a better a, A6 processor. Right. I mean, that does make sense in terms of the recent talk about how there's the 4.7-inch model and the 5.5. Maybe the 4.7 will come at WWDC, and later in the, the year they'll have the, uh, the iFablet. I don't know. Or maybe they just say, here's the next, you know, here's iPhone 6. And it comes out six six months or seven months after, well, I guess it would be more like eight months. But there's no promise that you get it, that if you bought your iPhone 5S on day one, right. that you are going to get 12 months of this is the top of the line iPhone. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, but I don't know. Apple TV could be a WWDC announcement, too. Yeah, I've thought the same thing, that that could be... Uh, I'm not hearing anything about it. I'm just pulling stuff out of my hat and thinking what they could announce. The only thing I know about Apple TV is I know that there are some amazing engineers working on Apple TV. Like For sure. Type of engineers who there's no way that they're working on um, the Apple TV as we know it. You know, of course this simple little up, down, left, right, select thing. <laughs> um that there's some really good people on it. I mean, whether it's something that's coming this year or later, or I don't know, but could be I two different products. I mean, there could be a minor Apple TV refresh, perhaps with the uh, new software SDK iOS. I mean, look, the Apple TV interface is still stuck in the uh, four cell days as well. So yeah, they need updates on both sides of the coin. I can, you know, and having been at Microsoft's build conference two weeks ago, and, you know, that they announced, you know, and it was so fun. You know, I, I linked to a couple of pieces today from Brent Simmons and Justin Williams about how, because it was at Moscone West, which is where WWDC right. is. It was like this bizarro world WWDC, <laughs> where in so many ways it looked like WWDC. And in so many, you know, then you just see, oh, my God, but that is so weird, you know, and this is so weird. Um and one of them, you know, not really weird, but one of the ways that, that struck me about Build was this, they have this, but they're, I forget if they're calling them universal apps or whatever they're calling them, but that there's one, you know, a way to write an app that runs on Windows PCs, Windows phones, tablets, and Xbox. Now, wow. obviously, the interface is totally different, but it's the same, you know, developer tools and APIs um, for shared stuff. So the stuff that could be shared is shared. Um, but the thing that got me was that, you know, they're really, really, you know, right now, Microsoft with the Xbox one and the current runtime and their developer tools is pushing, Hey, you can write apps that run in people's living rooms on their Xbox one. You know, that's, that's a, that's a ship that's taking off. Yeah, for sure. And the living room opens up so many different opportunities for apps too. That it just makes me think, you know, and if they're going to do it, if part of the story of a next generation Apple TV, it doesn't even matter what what the gist of the hardware is, you know, that if it's a, a TV with an integrate actual TV set with an integrated thing, or it's a separate box that you plug in, doesn't matter if it has, has to do with apps and third party apps and an app store, WWDC is the time to do it yep, because there's no other, you know, they have to wait another year. Otherwise, I mean, not that they would, that they couldn't release it in October and just release the developer info as stuff on the web, but the perfect time to do it is at WWDC. Agreed. I mean, I mean, they have they have a keynote to fill too. When you think about it, I mean, it, they're not going to just have a keynote for iOS eight, which is not that big of an update, and a new operating system that just has a new look and mostly the same feature set as Mavericks. I mean, 
there's a formula here. The formula includes some hardware of some sort. Well, and the other thing, too, about Mac OS X, I mean, obviously, Mac OS X is going to have a huge part in the keynote just because of the new look. And right. They're going to have all sorts of information and, and you know, uh, how you're going to get your apps to take advantage of the new look and still, you know, run on Mac OS 10.9 and all this stuff. Um, but the truth is the Mac, and, it, you know, and the Mac's a great business, and I, I really do think Apple's heart is in it, but it's just not big enough for Apple to, to be a centerpiece of the keynote anymore. For it sure. has to be iOS or it has to be a new product. Right, for sure. And like you said, even like psychologically, announcing a updated Airs and MacBook Pros at WWDC, it wouldn't cut it for new hardware. Right, because it's just not big enough right. business. really isn't. Not that that won't get good time and that, you know, that they're not proud of it. And that it, do, it certainly means a lot to the people who are in the room at WWDC because every single, all 5,000 developers are using Macs to develop their apps, whether right. they're writing Mac software or iOS software. Absolutely. But... It's just not big enough. Will you be there at uh, WWDC this year? Uh, I expect to be, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'll be there, too. I mean, I don't have a ticket or a press pass or anything, but I'll be there during the week, so it should be exciting. Uh, yeah, well, then we'll have to get together. Um, yeah, so that's a good question. I was going to ask about that. So you've, do you, you've never gotten a press pass for the Apple events? I haven't only not gotten a press pass. I haven't gotten a press email reply. So, Yeah. No relationship there with Apple uh, at this point. And you, but you ask. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've contacted. Do you ask? Do you ask each time? Like every time WDC gets announced, do you do you try to you know throw throw another request in to, to get um, a press pass? Uh, yeah, the last couple of years or so, haven't really gotten any replies uh, for that or stories. I mean, I asked them for comment on the Greg Christie story, and they gave the comment to uh, everyone right. else. You know, so. I don't know. I don't know. You know, but it doesn't I, seem like they really interact with the Apple only websites. I mean, Daring Fireball is not an Apple rumor site. All right. Fortune yeah. is not an Apple rumor site. But I mean, I'd be more concerned or more. I guess I don't know if upset's the right word because I probably wouldn't be upset either way. But I'd be more concerned if like Mac rumors was getting invited to those events. Which they're not. Yeah. As far as I know. So uh, I don't think so either. No, it's a good point, and part of it. They do seem to have had a couple of years ago a sort of reflection inflection point where they they really all of a sudden opened up to online only publications like where previously they'd really only given top tier press access to print based um journalists so and, and it was a lot more limited so like uh, the first couple of years iphone review units only went to like pogue mossberg um bagley at uh, the usa today uh stephen levy while he was at newsweek but that you know newsweek you know went under right uh, but it was really I, I you know like the first iphone i think only went to like four four writers four yeah. or five yeah pogue in his famous video um and they were all had roots in print, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, USA Today. And it seemed like they had a moment like where I started getting like I had press passes back then, but then I never had review units of anything. And then they really opened up and started giving a lot more review units and the, you know, off the record briefings that go with them. To, right. Not just to me. It wasn't like they elevated me next to Pogue and Mossberg, but that, you know, a lot of others, too. What was your um, first... uh review unit from apple was it the iphone 4 or 4s just trying to think of the timeline 
It's an excellent question. Uh, I believe, in fact, I'm almost certain that it was the Verizon iPhone 4, which is, yeah, a little interesting because it was uh, not a major event. I think, I could be wrong, but I think that... Uh, this is one of those things where my memory is shot, but I'm pretty sure that I was out on the West Coast for Macworld Expo, and it worked out that I could just swing down to Cupertino and get a briefing and sign all the NDAs and pick it up and you know um, have it. But otherwise, I would have gone like from Philly up to New York because they they went to, you know they had a team go to New York to right, distribute right. them to writers there. Uh, but I think I'm almost certain that the that was when it started. And I think that I've gotten a review unit of every iOS device since. And right, if, they, right. if I missed anything, it wasn't anything major. Right, 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 right. Yeah, your reviews are always interesting to read. I love how like the embargo lifts at a certain time and then you just post yours up uh, three hours later or the next day and everyone just jumps to read your opinion. So. <laughs> I always try. I try. I try to get, I try to hit the embargo deadline but i i never do i'm i'm really terrible with that uh, i mean like who cares at this point i mean but i know but i think some people think i do it on purpose now that i i think you, know. you do it on purpose <laughs> no i don't and it used to be that i'd get you know that that they'd uh call me or like email me and be like hey what you know where's your review <laughs> I'd be like, why am I reading email? And it wasn't like I was in trouble. There's no, there is absolutely no, hey, you know, there's, there's a rule that says you cannot publish before nine o'clock on Thursday right. Pacific time. There's no rule that says you have to publish by 9.05 Pacific, you know. I just think, though, that everybody else wants to publish right away, that it never occurred to them that someone would, would miss it by four hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it was like, they, they just never, it wasn't like they were angry, they were just confused and wanted right. to make sure everything was all right. What's wrong with our phone? Yeah. Right. Uh, before we wrap up, what do you think about the, the watch? I think that's interesting. I mean, it'll be interesting to see which direction they go into. I mean, based on all the recent hires, it really seems like it's going to be a medical appliance or have a medical focus. Medical, I think med I don't think so. I think that's off because I think it's too limiting and it's no fun. It's not, I mean, I think it's one component. I mean, if you remember the iPhone, it was the, the right. phone, web browser, and uh, iPod. I don't think it would be far-fetched to think that, hey, the watch is going to be your media, your health, and some cool mapping functionality uh, yeah. or something like that. Um, I mean, the hires, in terms of those from the medical space, it's really been a thing across 2013 and into 2014. You know, how the Apple product cycles work. I mean, the iPhone was in the works two and a half years, three years before that launched. And if they got all these medical hires over the last year or two or so, and we're talking about people's lives here, FDA regulations, I don't think they would able to be able to ship a device that does everything that their newly hired engineers are capable of creating this year or even early next year. So all this health stuff could be for future generations and they could start off like, you know, the original iPhone not shipping with 3G. It could be just a few medical things here and there, some cool maps functionality, getting your notifications. Uh, and then over time they could, you know, evolve the product to be something much bigger. I do think, and a couple people have been writing about it recently, that it it doesn't seem to add up financially to be an iPhone or i even iPad style business. 
no. because iPhones, from Apple's perspective, accounting-wise, sell for six, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars each. Yep. You don't pay that when you go to the carrier, but the carrier that pays Apple, like if you buy a new 5S, starts at like six hundred and fifty bucks. Right. Uh, iPads, you know, now clearly you can get the iPad Mini without cellular for you know three hundred and fifty bucks, but the bigger ones, you know, are four, five, six hundred dollar devices. I don't think you can sell a thing you wear on your wrist for five, six, seven hundred dollars. Or you could sell it, but it wouldn't be it, it wouldn't sell to enough people. Right. And all those, right there's this ridiculous talk of the thousands of dollars for the iWatch. I mean yeah. I guess that makes sense if it's gold or platinum no. plated or something, but that's totally not Apple's agenda. No, I was going back and forth with some people on Twitter the other day about it. And somebody else, I forget who, but some reader, you know, chimed, chimed in and said, sure, lots of companies sell $1,000 watches, multi-thousand dollar watches. But those watches are heirlooms. You're expected, if you go and buy a, a four or $5,000 watch or even two or $3,000 watch from Rolex or Omega or any of the companies that make watches like that, you're expecting to have a watch that you're going to own for the rest of your life and that you can pass on to your children. Exactly. And it's still going to be, uh, you know, useful and even better. It's going to be even better than it was, right? Because if you had like your grandfather's Rolex and it still keeps great time, it's going to have this great old style. It's going to be timeless and you've, you know, got this connection. Computer devices, you know, don't worry about it. Right. I mean, whatever the thing is, three or four years from now, the thing's going to be in everybody's desk drawer because it's going to be three or four year old technology. Yeah. Yeah. Probably be useless by then, too. I mean, if you look at the Apple update cycle, I mean, even the iPhone, uh, what is it, 3GS at this point. Right. I mean, useless. You mean you can't even get right. the latest software. So, right. yeah. No, I think you got to think about it in terms of iPod pricing i really do and i for sure i also feel like maybe the thing that we're all overlooking is just the way that like the iphone came out and had all these sensors that just nobody had ever really thought of before not that the technology was amazing but that altogether it was like a proximity sensor so that the phone goes off when you hold it up to your face to make a call so right. your cheek doesn't register as a touch and the accelerometer uh, i mean accelerometer right and you know and they had the super monkey balls game right there on day one in the app store taking advantage of it coolest thing ever but now it's like a nothing right but it was the combination and you know that you could put on any one of them maybe wouldn't be all that expensive and wouldn't be all that amazing but you put four five six of these sensors in a device that you put on your wrist and all of a sudden maybe you do kind of get an amazing array of you know fitness information about yourself right but I don't know. And I also feel like display-wise, it's, if it's anything, it's got to be like some kind of like new technology that nobody's thinking of. Like right. these devices that like Samsung's putting out that are like, just take a, take a 2014 cell phone and shrink it to two inches and put it on your wrist is got to be the wrong way of thinking about For it. For sure. Oh, speaking of Samsung, I, I love that, uh, that uh, Tumblr of the original Samsung designs. <laughs> Samsungdesign.tumblr.com? Yeah, I mean, it took me admittedly like a minute to uh, think about like, why is this website playing? Who why are you linking to this? And I'm like, ah, oh, I got it. It's great. <laughs> I think that that's the. That's all I did is last night I tweeted. I just, I didn't have any context to it. All I wrote, I just pasted the URL, and I think am I getting it right? Is it? I'm gonna quick look it up so I, anybody listening can see it. I don't think I have that many. T yeah, Samsungdesign.tumblr.com. And then you go there and it just says, I don't know who did this. It's not me, but it's brilliant. It just says, 
Original Designs by Samsung. This blog is dedicated to showcase all the innovative and original designs by Samsung. And then it says there are no posts yet. And did you see uh, which uh, Apple employee favorited that? I did. I saw you link to it today. Yeah. You linked to a screenshot showing that uh, somebody, uh, uh, I don't know who he is. He's like a some kind of marketing <laughs> or something named Phil Schiller favored it from his Twitter account. Yeah. How did you spot that? That was that's a good might be a good way to end the show. That the thing that got me, the thing that made me interesting about that, it, it wasn't that Schiller favorited my tweet. It was that you saw that Schiller favorited my tweet. Oh, in uh, the Twitter apps and um, TweetDeck or whatnot, there's uh, an activity tab that shows you all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but what made you look? No, no, Wait, no it's I mean, an activity tab. It's like a, it's like a stream of people following, favoriting. Ah. And I follow both of you, so ah. it showed me that. <laughs> technology huh yeah well mark german thank you for being on the show thanks for uh, having me it was great yeah uh, i've got to have you back but everybody can follow your your reporting at nine to five mac where you are senior editor and then on twitter you have a good twitter account um mark with a k german g-u-r-m-a-n yeah you should follow it too john uh, do I not follow you? <laughs> when you DM me, I couldn't reply. Says, oh, shit. Why didn't you tell me? Hold on a second. I'll couldn't follow tell you. Right you. Couldn't reply. <laughs> here, live live on the show. I'm going to I'm gonna follow Mark German. Quite Hold the on. endorsement. Everybody else, as you listen, you should do the same thing. Go to user <laughs> Mark German. Here we go. Follow. Now, I, you know what? I, I, how many? I don't know. I follow like four or 500 people. I just assumed that I was following you. I don't know. <laughs> but now yeah. I am. I mean, I'm very similar to Gruber. It's going to be uh, me uh, talking about the Lakers and basketball over, uh, what, what's your team? Phillies? Yankees? Oh, uh, the Yankees. Yankees, sorry. But uh, I don't know. If you like basketball and Apple, <laughs> get a kick out of some stuff. Yeah. Schiller's a Red Sox man, so I doubt that he favorites many of my tweets. <laughs> uh, 